Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 217, recorded, what is it, January 19, 2021. I'm Brian Aachen. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Ogie Moore. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Who's first? Michael's first. I'm first. You want to talk about caching? Uh, I got some cool stuff to talk about with caching. So I recently got a recommendation from Ian Maurer, who was uh, talking about genetics and biology over on Talk Python. I think one uh, one fifty four, so a while back. But he pointed out this project called Python Disk Cache, and it just seems like such a cool project to me. So one of the big problems, or not problems, one of the trade offs, or the mix of resources we have to work with when we're running stuff in the cloud, so often has to do with limited RAM, limited memory in that regard, and limited CPU, but usually have a ton of disk space. For example, uh, on my server, I think I've got like using five gigs out of 25 gigs, but I've only got, you know, two or four gigs of RAM, right? But one of the things you can do to make your code incredibly fast is to cache stuff that's expensive, right? If you're going to do a complicated series of database queries, maybe just save the result and refresh it every so often or something like that, right? Well, this library here is kind of the simplest version of one of these caches. Like people often recommend memcached. They talk about Redis. Um, you, know, you might even store something in your database and then pull it back out. And all those things are fine. They just have extra complexity. Now I have a ep- separate database server to talk to if I didn't have one before. I've got a Redis caching server. Now I got to share. What if you just use that extra hard, di- hard disk space to make your app faster? A lot of these cloud systems like Linode, for example, they have SSDs for the hard drive. So if you store something and then read it back, it's going to be blazing fast, right? So disk cache is all about allowing you to do, you know, put this thing in the cache, get it from the cache, but it actually stores it in the file system. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's super easy to use. You can just come up here and say import disk cache and just to get an item, I just say cache, like a dictionary, basically, and to put it back, same thing. You give it a key and a value. It's basically like a dictionary, but it persists across runs. It's multi-threaded, multi-process safe, and all those kinds of things. So incredibly incredibly cool. It's pure Python. It runs in process, so there's not like a server to manage. It has 100% test coverage, hours of stress testing. It's focused on performance. And it actually, Django has a built-in caching API in Django, and you can plug this into Django. So when people say cache with my thing, even third-party apps and stuff, you can automatically start using this, which is pretty awesome. It has support for eviction. So uh, last, uh, most recently used, uh, first and so on. Um, you can tag things and say these can get evicted um, sooner and whatnot. So really, really nice, incredibly easy to use. I definitely recommend people check it out because very nice. It has different kinds of data structures um, that you can work with, like a, a fan-out cache, a Django cache, a regular cache, and, and so on. So if you want to work with some code and it's possibly going to run in multiple processes or it's going to start and then restart, uh, start and stop and then run again. And you wanted to not have to recompute everything, this cache. I guess evictions are evictions like on hold for 2020. Yeah. Well, because of COVID, you're going to need more disk No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, this looks cool. So what's a, I'm, one of the things I was confused about is um, it's a key. It's called the cat disk cache, but what's the difference between that and just like a key value store database? Well, those the key value store database in practice would be no different. So, okay. uh, but it's just but you have something. a se- well, but you have a separate server. Like there is a server process that runs somewhere that you have to have a like a connection string and stuff too oh. that you talk to it in this way. This is like I have a file 
And oh, I, right. I use the same API to talk to it. So instead of having another server to manage, another place to run it, uh, you just say like, let me just put it on the SSD. And that's probably quite fast. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then we got a quick question here. Uh, Brandon asked, uh, do they talk about any way to scale this out, say multiple servers behind a load balancer? I did not see anything. I'm pretty sure as far as I can tell that it's local, just like lo uh, sort of a per machine type of thing, not a, but it does go across processes, but it doesn't, I haven't seen anything talking about multi-machine. I guess you could set up a like a microservice, but at that point, you might as well just have Redis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, Redis is kind of on my list of things to try here pretty soon, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing right. I, I want to check out is um, is some of the, uh, well, I like Tommel lately. Um, yeah, Tommel's great. Tommel's great. I, I heard that it reached 1.0. Yeah, so it is, it's at 1.0 now. And, and um, I think that they were kind of, headed there anyway um so i was looking through the change log um looks like they had several uh release candidates and and i'm anyway let's we'll talk about it a little bit so it's it's at 1.0 now i mean a lot of us don't really understand it's maybe i'm speaking for myself don't really get what what a, what all the specification means i just use it it just works it's easy um and uh and one of the things i use it for is the pyproject.toml file uh that's mostly what i use it for but um, but PyProject.toml is taking off, and this is at 1.0. So what does this mean? I'm hoping that this means that we have like a, a Python uh, package built into the Python that parses Toml. Yeah, now the language is stable, right? Yeah. And maybe it means I need to learn more about Toml. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, but I think there's talk about it. I'm not sure what the state of it is. Uh, maybe we could get um, Brett or somebody to talk about it. But uh, in the meantime, if you want to play with 1.0, with python there's i think there might be limited choices so i went out and looked there's a page on the the a project page that that shows um it's like down at the bottom it shows the the different uh projects the implement that implement the various versions of toml and there's one project so there's a c++ project that or a handful of c++ that uh support the 1.0.0 the the most recent uh version of toml um and then various support levels for different um for different other things there's a there's a 1.0.0 release candidate one that's supported by toml kit so toml kit is a python project that looks um and i think that that might be sufficient to try out most of the features um the new features and then oh nice uh then there's a, the what i would think of is just the toml project in python that one's only sub, it supports 0.5.0 so I'm not sure what's going on there. It'd be great if it would support the latest. But then I'm like, what does that mean? What is what's different between 050 and 10? And so I went and looked at the change log. Uh, there's there's three things that, that jump out that look like they're new. Really changes. One of them is uh, leading zeros in exponent parts of floats are permitted. So uh, okay. Uh, then allowing raw character tabs in basic strings and multi-line basic strings. That seems reasonable. And then uh, the difficult one might be allowing heterogeneous values in arrays, which that's cool. I'm, and I'm, yeah, so apparently it wasn't there before. Yeah, um, but none of those seem like super common stuff that's going to be a big breaking change. Like, oh, well, of course we use heterogeneous types in here. Like, we're just going to mix it up in a random stuff in our array, right? It seems like it's it's probably yeah. still the, the built-in or the, the, the pure Python one is probably decent still. Right, and I, I need um, the, um, I guess... There's a whole bunch of these that are listed as clarify, like clarify, but it is a specification. So clarify might be very important. 
but I'm not sure how important that is. It probably affects the implementation, but um, I'm shut, putting this out because I'd like to hear from people that know more than I do about this and uh, how this affects Python and if we should care about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's very cool to see it coming along and it definitely lends some support to the whole Pi Project Tomo stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, before we move on to Augie's first topic, uh, Martin Boris asked, uh, wondering, is this disk cache thing I mentioned, is it a simple way to share data between Uvicorn and Gunicorn workers? Yes, exactly. That's exactly why it matters because it goes across the worker processes or across worker process in general, or across multi-processes and, and a consequence of multiple worker processes. Because normally you would either cache in like process memory, so you've got to do it like 10 times. You've got it all fanned out in a different processes running so this will solve that for sure and then one for you brian from magnus carlson yeah does um was that does pep 621 uh, the, the toml spec whatever the pep yeah. is for that specify the version of toml to use i don't know I'll have to ask brett about that too yeah i don't know either sorry all right augie what you got well well i'm uh here well thank you for inviting me again this is actually yeah, you have two consecutive weeks of uh hosting mechanical engineers as your guest on the podcast um right so uh thanks for uh being uh inclusive uh but i i wanted to talk about PyQt graph which is not new but um it's, yeah, people uh, maybe don't know though so tell them about it yeah, absolutely. So PyQt Graph is a plotting library, uh, but it's a little different from uh, the likes of Matplotlib and the variant on the variance or derivatives from that or a bouquet. Uh, PyQt Graph uses the Qt framework, and it's meant for embedding interactive plots within uh, GUI applications. Um, and as a consequence of using the, as the Qt, you can actually get some really high performance um out of it, which is which Matplotlib is absolutely phenomenal for generating plots for publications or you know for static media on websites. But the moment you try and do anything like with mouse interactions, you might be in for a you know bit of a tough time. Um, then, right, but uh, with this, you're running on like native with Qt. You're running natively on the OS, right? Absolutely, yeah. You're running, yeah. There's no client-server relationship like you would get with a Bouquet, which you might need in some certain situations, but and anyway, so um, part of the PyQt graph library is, which, you know, I guess I should uh, identify that I am a maintainer of, <laughs> but um, is that we actually bundle an example application. So if you're ever curious about the library and its capabilities, um, you know, and don't feel like reading through dozens of pages of documentation, you can just run this example app, which I have on the screen share, and it shows you the and list of various. With Py to, Py, this comes with PyQt graph, right? Yes. Yeah. It's bundled yeah. in the library. So if you put right. install PyQt graph, you get this. And and here's some of the basic, you know, plots, but yeah, and as you can see, you get our mouse interactivity going and, you know, we can do zoom behavior. Nice. Um, and, but what's really cool about this library is that example here, basic plotting is generating during the, with this code right here. All those plots was in this, oh, I can't tell how many lines, maybe 70 lines total. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you can uh, in, within this editor here, you can change any of the code and experiment with yourself. And here on the tab, you see all these different items. You know, it does 2D. We have some 3D capability, which you need the PyOpenGL library for. Um, another, uh, this one is just a, maybe a dozen lines of code, but you have a couple plots here. And then just with the mouse interactivity, right, we can subselect or here you can get our crosshairs and get information about what's the data yeah. points underneath the mouse. So for an analysis tool, it is really, really, um, it's, it can be incredibly powerful. 
And if you're generating tools for any kind of uh, engineering or scientific analysis where you want like the user to be able to interact with the uh, data in some way, you know, zoom in, zoom out, things like that, or uh, PyKT graph might be might be a really good option for you. Yeah, absolutely. Can you run the the basic plotting thing one real quick? Oh yeah, of course. So when I was looking at this, the thing that stood out to me was while it looks like the graphs are beautiful and they look good, you know, the first couple that it's like I could probably do that in Bokeh or um, Plotly or you know Matplotlib, so something like that, right? But the nice interaction between multiple graphs as you zoom in one, the other goes in, or that super high frequency yellow one uh, that's people listening, it's like refreshing, you know, many, many times a second, right? Getting high frame rate out of out of those like Jupyter notebooks sounds tricky. Yeah. And I'm actually really glad you brought up high frame rates. I'm actually on the verge of merging a pull request to integrate uh, CuPy support, which is the CUDA number arrays for um, some of the image data. And on some of our benchmarks, we're showing being able to go from, you know, maybe 20 frames per second of images up to over 150 frames per second, which, you know, at that point, you know, monitors can't keep up, but, you know, you lessen the CPU load substantially. Yeah, that's Um, fantastic. We got a a comment question from the Anthony Shaw. I use the built-in grapher app in Mac OS. I do not know what the built-in grapher app is. So I am... I'm afraid I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> you don't know if it, if it can replace it or not. I, I don't know either, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but J- PyQt Graph ha- it has a couple of dependencies. You need some Qt bindings. And right now we support Qt5, 5.12 and newer. Uh, up until very recently, PyQt Graph supported like virtually any Qt bindings you could install, like even going back a decade, which eventually I had to put an ax to that. That was just too much work. Um <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so we support uh, Qt 5.12 or, or newer. We don't support Qt 6 yet, although there is a pull request in to add support for PySide 6, which was discussed on the show just two weeks ago. Yeah, it just came out, right? Right. It just came out, and um, which I'm, I'm really thankful for uh, contributors, you know, that are submitting these pull requests. I'm often feel bad that I can't keep up with the rate that they're coming in, but um, <laughs> but it's still appreciated. And, Are you uh, looking for contributors to the project? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, and not just contributors to the code, but uh, also people that can uh, that are uh, willing to look over a pull request or willing to um, test out pull requests manually. With the plotting library, sometimes testing can be really difficult because uh, like uh, visual artifacts, like how do I test for that, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, sometimes a lot of, a big chunk of our testing is, well, does this break or does this look right? And um, being able to, you know, having somebody else, you know, uh, verify that kind of stuff or is a really big help. Um, yeah, so yeah, cool. if, you, if you're uh, interested in this um, and uh, feel free to uh, reach out to me, uh, directly or take a look at our uh, issue tracker or pull request tracker. Um, yeah, no, oh, and I guess the last thing I should say is it's it's primarily used in scientific and engineering applications. Um, it's I, Periodically, I go through the Git log and I look at like the email addresses that people are contributing to and, you know, <laughs> NASA Ames Research Center and <laughs> places like, awesome. a bunch of places like that. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I get a kick out of that. Yeah, that's super, super cool. Nice. Thanks for sharing that and good work on it. Well, I another cool thing is Linode and they're sponsoring this episode. Thank you, Linode. Simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's 
Linux virtual machines develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Whether you're developing a personal project or managing larger workloads, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions. As listeners of Python Bytes, you get a $100 free credit. You can find all about the de- those details at pythonbytes.fm slash Linode. Linode also has data centers around the world with the same simple and consistent pricing regardless of location. Choose the data center nearest to your users. You also receive 24-7, 365-day human support with no tiers or handoffs regardless of your plan size. You can choose shared and dedicated compute instances, or you can use your $100 credit on S3-compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes, and more. If it, run on, if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit pythonbytes.fm slash Linode and click on the Create Free Account, free account button to get started. Awesome. Thanks for supporting the show, Linode. Uh, okay, Brian, I want to cover something that comes to us from two listeners. This comes from Jim Kring, who pointed out some really interesting aspects, how Python is being used in this whole parlor social media kerfuffle. And a great article by my good friend and fellow Portlander, Mark Little. So uh, let's go over the article first. So you guys heard there was basically an attempt to overthrow the U.S. government. Do you guys hear that? <laughs> that, yeah. that was lovely. God, what yeah. idiots. So a lot of the people who were there got kicked off of, you know, official social media. And they went to this site called Parler. So Parler, according to Wikipedia, is an American alt tech microblogging and social media networking service. And it has a significant user base of Donald Trump supporters, conservative... <coughs> conservatives, conspiracy theorists, and right-wing extremists. Not my words, that's Wikipedia. So a lot of the people who stormed the Capitol uh, tried to um, get into Congress and stop the counting of the votes. They they decided to live blog it on their personal accounts. <laughs> but a lot of them were no longer on um, Twitter and whatnot, although some were. Um, so they were on Parler. And they probably came to realize, you know, it's probably not a good idea of showing me charging in to the Capitol as like hundreds of people are being arrested and charged with federal crimes, right? At the same time, uh, Parler was getting kicked off of Apple's App Store for the iOS. The, they were getting kicked off of the Google Play Store. They were getting banned in a lot of places. So there was this hacker is not the right person, the sort of uh, data savior person, I guess you could say, who came along and realized it would be great if we could download all of that content and save it and hand it over to journalists at, say, like ProPublica, hand it over to the FBI, and so on. It turns out it wasn't very hard to do. There was a, a couple of things, if you look through the uh, Ars Technica article, about how the code behind Parler was a coding mess. And I've tried to figure out what technology was used to implement it, and I, I just couldn't find that anywhere. Anyway, it says, the reason this woman was so, success- so successful at grabbing all this data, which she got, like... 1 million videos and a whole bunch of pictures. There's a whole host of uh, mistakes. So the public API for it used no authentication. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. The, restate that. The public API used zero authentication. No rate limiting, nothing. Just, yeah, sure, we'll just go ahead. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> you have it all. <laughs> Secondly, when a user deleted their post, the site didn't remove it. It just flagged it as deleted so it wouldn't show up in the feed, which in and of <laughs> itself is not necessarily bad. But you pair that with Every post was an auto-incrementing ID, which meant you could just enumerate. You're like, oh, I'm on post 500. Well, let's see what 501 is. It doesn't matter if it's deleted. Give me that. Hmm. That's crazy, right? Yeah. So she wrote uh, she wrote a script in Python to go download it. And you can actually see like uh, 
here's all the videos and all the stuff and their IDs and whatnot. And in here, this is the one that Jim sent over. If you look, there's a gist here that shows you how do you download a video from Parler. Let's go down and find, um, is it here? No, maybe it's not there. I think it might be back. There's a part where it shows the, um, how do you download it with uh, Python and so on. So you just go through and like, you know, screen scrape it, traditional Python right there. So apparently Python was used to free and capture all of this. Oh, another thing that they did in, um, in Parler that made it easy to get was when you upload videos and images to places like Twitter, they'll auto strip the EXIF, like the geolocation and whatnot from the images. Now they don't need it, just post it, right? So like geolocation, camera name, all that kind of stuff huh. is all in there. Um, so there's just a bunch of bunch of badness. Um, they've been since kicked off of AWS because, you know, crimes. And now they're apparently trying to get hosted in a server in Russia. Is that right, Augie? Yeah, there was a, actually, I think there's an article on Ars Technica that went up this morning that they're somewhat partially online on some Russian infrastructure, which. Um, yeah, they're only partially online because I looked and it, uh, they're like, uh, they're, it says something like, well, we're trying to come back. Here's a couple of posts. Uh, it's not, um, yeah, it's, it's not all the way back, right? They're experiencing tef- technical difficulties as in the world hates them and is trying to make them go away. So I'm not here to try to make this a political statement or anything like that. That's not why I covered the story. I covered it because I thought it's very interesting, both the security side and how people were able to leverage Python to sort of grab this stuff before it's gone. Some of the uh, the journalists were asking, like, is there a more accessible way to get the data? They're like, yes, we're going to build uh, the woman who got it is like, we're going to build some better way for you to get it. But right now it's like I had to run into the burning building and grab the files before they were gone. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing I sort of want to point out about this story is it's not like Parler was lacking funding to develop these tools. They they had, from what I understand, they had significant financial backing. Yeah. And whether they did not have the technical expertise, the time, I don't know. But I'm really curious as more fallout comes from this, you know. Um, yeah. There's going to be some good s- stories from a technical standpoint on here. Absolutely. Well, pretty pretty insane. All right, Brian, let's move on to something uh, more Devi developer, web Devi. Well, you know, maybe if you want to scrape the web or something else. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we've got a, a suggestion from Douglas Nichols. Thanks, Douglas. Uh, best of the web development with Python. So we've seen. Uh, I, I would put Parler not in that list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I we've seen uh, best of lists like this before. I'm, I'm kind of a fan of them. Yeah. But the this one of the things I liked about this is the um, the icons are nice. Nice. So there's a whole bunch of different icons that are used to help. Uh, you know, you can see the likes or the uh, follows and stuff of of different projects. And then there's icons for you can search for Flask projects or things like that. That's nice. Um, but it's a it's a pretty big comprehensive list. We've got web frameworks, HTTP clients, servers, authorization tools, uh, URL utilities, Open API, GraphQL, which is nice to see. Um, there's, uh, even web testing and markdown listed, um, how to access third-party APIs. But then I'll, I, I, near the end, I really liked seeing there's, um, a bunch of utilities sections. So there's uh, flask utilities and fast API and pyramid and Django utilities, which are really neat. And it, what I really was pleased to see was that even though fast API is what a couple years old now, there's a whole bunch of, uh, fast API projects that are, uh, there to make fast api easier like um using sql alchemy or uh, you know coming up with a 
contributions thing or uh, yeah fantastic different different react how to use react with it things like that um so yeah uh nice if you're trying to check out want to look at different tools that are available for web development with python this might be a good place to peruse i feel like that's one of the big challenges in general you know with people coming into python or getting into a new framework it's like there's 500 libraries to do a thing (laughs) yes which one should i use not can i find a library but there's too many right yeah yeah so do you have a suggestion for that um well i think these awesome lists are super good right because they're somewhat vetted and whatnot um and i i'd recommend so like for instance if i was if i was building a um well it's harder now but if i was building something new with the web development or web interface or something and i didn't have like which framework to pick is like one of the starter things um i it's the people i have around me as resources so uh i know that you're um that you know about pyramid but you're also fairly knowledgeable about fast api and um and I, I know some people that are Django friendly and to know quite a bit about Django. So if the, if the people, if you've got a couple of friends that already know one of these big yeah. hitters, um, I would go with that so that you can ask them questions. Well, maybe even you don't pick the same thing, but you could ask, like, you chose this one. Tell me, you looked at a lot of the other ones. Why did you pick that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah, for sure. Like maybe if, Fast API makes sense for me. It doesn't make sense for you, but you can then see why it made sense for me and not for you or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. All right. Uh, I am. I up now. Yeah, you're up. <laughs> so, um, so uh, Mr. Shaw being in the audience here was a bit of a surprise, but uh, I, one of the things I wanted to talk about is uh, I'm going to butcher this. I pro- I apologize. Uh, Pajayan. Pigeon. I think it's pigeon. 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 Is oh, pigeon that's right? you. Oh my goodness. Now, I, okay. Yes. What a wonderful name. <laughs> and uh, in I've been fascinated by this. Uh, and so what Pigeon is, is a, a God, this is, feels so awkward to talk about somebody else's project when they're in the audience here. That's it's right. a JIT extension <laughs> of CPython uh, that compiles Python code uh, using uh, the .NET 5 CLR. And um, and what I've, what's been fascinating to me about this is this is like a whole area of software that I have absolutely no experience with. Like I know nothing about, but I've been following uh, what Anthony's been talking about on Twitter about it, and he's and he's been explaining what he's doing, explain you know along the way in these Twitter size increments that I I feel like I'm able to follow along uh, with the antenna, and, and I found I found that this project absolutely fascinating, and I'm I'm seeing like the rates of improvement over time, and I, I've just been absolutely blown away, and um. And so, so I think this has been absolutely uh, amazing, and I really hope that uh, I'm really curious. So, one of the benchmarks that Anthony's been using is his own Python implementation of the end body problem, which is um, which is sort of funny that's come up because I've been wanting to do an end body plotting example in PyQt Graph, and so now, I'm, and now, of course, uh, this has been sort of on my to do for some time. So now I'm curious if I should even attempt to, um, or if it's even remotely possible to uh try and integrate uh those functionalities together yeah um oh that's cool and uh go ahead no no go ahead oh sorry uh the other things that i've uh then this is these the other thing that i've recently used for some extension or made use of but is not particularly new is the um numpy's uh underscore or dunder array function uh, functionality, which um, is specified in NEP 18. And what that allows for is um, 
using uh, NumPy methods on non uh, not necessarily NumPy arrays. So, for example, with uh, CuPy, you could use like the NumPy methods that would operate on an ND array, but use it on a on a CuPy array. And in, in this is not limited to CuPy. There's uh, other uh, libraries that offer this functionality too. But this makes it so much easier to integrate um, uh, to to integrate various libraries together with really having minimal code impact and um, having near identical APIs. And earlier I was talking about the pull request for giving CuPy support into uh, PyQt Graph and this functionality which was implemented in CuPy, but it's made the integration uh, so much easier. Nice, because you guys are already implemented with NumPy, and it's just like, we're just going to go through this layer, basically. This yeah, I mean, there, there's some other gotchas that you have to have, like with hand, you know handing stuff off to the GPU and stuff like that. But yeah, no, that's... Uh, but the actual size of the diff was not that big, um, you know, for... Well, what and you, you think, think what it means to run on a CPU or run on a GPU. Like, that's a very different... A whole set of computing and uh, assumptions and environments and right and so on and to make that all a very small merge is, is crazy. Right. Yeah. No. It's um. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah. It's as I said, it's nothing new. This this functionality has existed. Is been enabled by default in NumPy since one, version one point seventeen, which I believe is almost coming up on two years old now. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it, this is the first time I've. I've made use of this functionality or I've been impacted by this functionality directly. And I'm so appreciative of it. Yeah. Fantastic. And that's super cool. It's I've, I've not really found a reason for me to work with QPy or anything like that, but I just really excited about the possibilities for people for who it does matter, you know? How about yeah, you, Brian? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I actually, I always, every time I hear about it, I write a note down and say, Oh, I got to check this out. looks neat. <laughs> absolutely. Well, there we go. There's our six, um, six items. Uh, do you have anything extra for us, Michael? Oh, I, this almost could be an extra, 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 extra. Hear all about it. So I'm just going to throw a few things out really quick. Uh, one, I got my new M1 not long ago and actually had to send in my old laptop. Its battery was dying. Its motherboard is dying, all sorts of things. So I had to put it in a box and send it away. I'm like, I don't really want to put my data in here. So I just formatted that as well. So now I have two brand new computers. I'm trying to think like, all right, what kind of getting bugged by how much spying, monitoring, observation, all these different companies are doing. So I've started running um, just Firefox, but also, you know, when things, a lot of times, like for example, StreamYard, I can't use a green screen on Firefox. I have to use Chrome, it says. I'm like, I don't really want to use Chrome, but (laughs) I want a green screen. So here I am. So I've started using Brave. Whenever something says I have to have Chrome, I started using Brave, which is a more privacy uh, focused browser. So I thought that was interesting. And just turning on a VPN like all the time, um, just to to limit people observing, not that I really need to keep anything super secret. Uh, two conferences are coming out with calls for proposals that are uh, due quite soon. So the Python Web Conf has uh, got some calls for proposal. Um, it's The conference is actually March 24th. Um, that order is not quite right, is it? 22nd to 26th um if you if you look at their site like the the days that it's on are like sort of not in order anyway uh end of march there's a cool online conference they did this last year uh six feet up did and they're doing it again this year i'm actually speaking here uh brian are you speaking there at the web conf yeah no well there's a call for paper so you could be Uh. you too augie (laughs) yeah and i think they expanded it out to be like five days or something so there'll be a lot of content which is very cool so I'll be giving a talk on Python memory deep dive there, I believe. And then the big one, PyCon, 
PyCon is virtual again this year, but the call for proposals has has gone out and is they're due February twelfth. So if you want to be part of PyCon, you know, you know, get out there and send something in. Are you going to submit something? I will probably do it. Yeah, uh, it means I got more work to do, uh, but yeah, I, I think I'll do it. Uh, you got any plans? I'll probably submit some something. Maybe three, yeah, four, five, cool. six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, that, you, ten proposals. <laughs> you get, the more you submit, the better chances you got. Augie, Shotgun you can submit to either. Uh, there's talk on the, uh, amongst us PyQt graph maintainers about uh, doing a tutorial session at, at SciPy. Um, so I might, I know that's not listed here, but I, yeah, we're considering doing that, which SciPy oh, yeah. is also virtual. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. Uh, then final here, 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 all about it. Extra stuff is Apple is launching a racial equity and justice initiative, which I think is pretty cool. Basically, they're setting up uh, centers to teach programming and other entrepreneurship skills in underserved communities, right? And I know there's, again, more a lot of political stuff around all this, but to me, I would just love to be in a world where I look around the community and it it looks representative of everybody, right? Like People feel yeah. included. Like tech is such a wonderful space. Uh, I think this is a cool um, initiative. Obviously, it could be, hopefully they deliver it in the right way. It's not just like, we're going to teach everyone how to build iPhone apps. That's what the world is, right? You know, it's a more broad sort of uh, conversation. Uh, it could go, go any which way. And I, hopefully it's just a start. Like if you look, they're saying they're donating $100 million to this cause, which is a lot of money, but it's also only eight hours of profit to Apple. So yeah, it's got room to grow, I suppose. Anyway, I uh, just want to sh- give a shout out to that as well. That seemed pretty cool. Yeah. All right, Brian, how about, how about you? More conference stuff? Well, Pi Cascades is, um, actually, I don't remember when it is, uh, but... February, possibly. February, probably. Um, yep, February 20th, it starts. And there there is... Uh, the schedule's up, so I wanted to announce the schedule's there so you can check it out. There's still tickets available, and uh, you can see what's going to happen. I, I really had had, I had fun at the uh, in-person Pi Cascades, and uh, I think they did a good job for the online one in 2020. So, And uh, we're going to be there. Yeah, we are. We're on a panel. Yeah. Along with Ollie Spittle. Yeah, should be fun. But there's, yeah, um, it should definitely be fun. About podcasting, but there, there's like another panel that uh, about writing technical writing technical books that looks good. There's a bunch of cool talks that I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, me too. It looks great. I love all these online conferences that it's pretty accessible to everybody. Last year, if we would announce this, you'd be like, oh, well, I'm not in Portland, so it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> um, Augie, I know you got yeah. some stuff to shout out real quick, but also a quick question, uh, follow up from yeah. Anthony. Uh, uh, uses AVX extensions for native matrix multiplication on supported CPUs. It'd be interesting if that extension supported the same for non-NumPy arrays. Thoughts, ideas? Yeah, I the can, uh, yes, I'm sure you can use those extensions on non. I mean, NumPy doesn't have a monopoly on AVS, uh, AVX extensions. Uh, you know, it just needs the, whatever library you use. I think you just need to or would need to be compiled with uh, uh, the Intel MKL. Blast extension, which is um, goes into build systems, which is way over my head. Um, and uh, I, yeah, man, I used to live in the C world and whatnot, but I'm far from that world that you and Anthony are inhabiting these days. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm, not, I'm so, yeah, in short, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. But in terms of the extras, a couple of things I wanted to bring attention to is uh, I've been loving the Anthony Explains video series, and these are generated by, um, oh, God, I'm I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Uh, Anthony Style. He's uh, he's been a guest on. Uh, can't remember if he's been a guest here, but I think he's been on guest on Talk Python to me. Uh, he maintains pre-commit. He's a PyTest developer yep. and uh, maintains Anthony Sotili. Sotili. Thank you. Yeah. And um, and I've been absolutely loving his Anthony Explains uh, video uh, playlist series. 
the other resource that I've recently found myself having to make use of is Learn X and Y Minutes. Um, I, you know, sometimes I have to write something in a tech stack I'm or in a language I have absolutely no familiarity with, um, and so that's that resource has been absolutely amazing uh, for um, you know the five minute overview <laughs> right on the real yeah, basic operations. Cool. And then the other one is uh, this book I've been reading, uh, working in public. And uh, I think uh, Guido plugged it a while ago on, on his Twitter feed, but um, it's uh, talks talks about maintaining open source projects um, and some of the issues arising that I, I think uh, it's, you know, I'm still not done with it, but I think it's both helpful for a, a maintainer point of view to, you know, for a sanity check and your experiences might not, you know, you're not, <laughs> might not be as isolated. And I think it's helpful for new uh, open source con- contributors to see what, uh, what things might look like from the maintainer's perspective as well. I love yeah, I've heard book. really good things. Yeah. Have you read it, Brian? Um, I, it has an audiobook version, so I listened to it and it, um, you wouldn't think like a book on open source would be good audio, but it was great. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, uh, Brian, should we do a joke? Yes, we should. All right. So I put two jokes into the show notes. One of them is a rap song, which I know Brian is especially fond of. It's a rap song about working at uh, the help desk. So if you, you're the help desk for your company or, or I guess public support as well, it's by dual call or called Here to Help. And man, it is so funny. It's a video uh, song uh, you know, on YouTube. So it doesn't really make sense to cover it, but I thought I'd throw it in there as a pre- uh, pre-recommendation what I'm going to actually talk about. Augie, what do you think? I see you smiling. Oh, I, that, I, I have to say that that song was just gem after gem after gem. It was, it, was... it is. <laughs> I need you to click your right mouse button. <laughs> I only have one mouse. Right. So here's, here's the actual Python related, uh, a joke, uh, for us. Um, and it's a tech support, uh, thing. Brian, why don't you be the person that needs some help? Okay. Hi. This is a chat, by the way. Uh, Tech support, how may I help you? Hi, I've got a problem. Your program is telling me to get a pet snake. I don't want one. Excuse me? It's giving me a message telling me I need a snake to run it. Okay, uh, read the message to me, please. Python required to run the script. <laughs> That's terrible. Well, and it's terrible. Terribly good is what it is. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, Hey, I wanted to uh, add some humor as well. All right, do it. So, so I saw this on Twitter, and it was a quote from... from uh, Bar- how do we, I don't know how to pronounce that name. Byron? Brian? Uh, Byron. I don't know. A uh, quote from Byron Hobart. Running a successful open source project is just goodwill hunting in reverse, where you start out as a respected genius and you end up being a janitor who gets into fights. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And it goes right along with the book recommendation as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's a good way to put a, a cap in. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thank you, Augie. Thank you for having me. Bye, everyone.